All right, everybody. It is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Mo Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. All right, let's get straight to some of these headlines. Four U.S. citizens have been kidnapped shortly after crossing into Mexico. What they were allegedly doing in the country. Why the Biden administration is considering a mass vaccination campaign for chickens. Two dozen people charged with domestic terrorism after an attack on a police facility in Georgia. Why this week is a big one for the economy and the stock market. Amazon closing some of its cashierless grocery stores. Foldable cell phones are back. Mosh, I had written that we do love the 90s around here, but as you pointed out, it was actually more like 2000 that those were all the rage. Jill, going back to the Nokia age, I've had almost every one of these phones, so I'm happy as your <laughs> resident cell phone historian. But exciting news, the, the Razor is back, folks. Which American city is home to the biggest tippers? And who are the worst tippers in America? And Mosh has on this day in history... Jill, it's a phone-themed podcast. Alexander Graham Bell made some history today. All right, let's get to our top story. There is an urgent search right now for four Americans in Mexico. The FBI is now offering a $50,000 reward for the safe return of those four U.S. citizens. They were kidnapped at gunpoint. The FBI says the Americans were driving in a white minivan with North Carolina license plates. They crossed into Mexico in Matamoros, which is just south of Brownsville, Texas. That happened on Friday. So shortly after crossing into the country, they came under fire. According to the FBI's release, the gunman, quote, herded the four U.S. citizens into another vehicle and fled the scene with them. There's video that appears to show the moments when the Americans are kidnapped. The gunmen are wearing bulletproof vests, and you can see them dragging somebody across the ground and then roughly pushing a woman into a white pickup truck. A U.S. official familiar with the incident telling CNN that the Americans were attacked by mistake and that they were not the intended targets. A Mexican citizen was killed during the kidnapping. Mexican President Obrador said that the Americans were in the country to buy medicine. He said that there was a, quote, confrontation between groups. The matter is looked into. I think it will be resolved. Yeah, this is scary as we head into spring break season. I've certainly been hearing from folks who are headed down, and there's certainly a number of Americans who drive through that region, which we'll tell you more about in a second. Right now, investigators believe that the Mexican cartel mistook the uh, Americans for Haitian drug smugglers, and investigators have not identified any concerning criminal history on the part of the Americans who were kidnapped. Officials right now are not releasing their names. The U.S. State Department is working with Mexican authorities to try to find the Americans and bring them home. Right now, the U.S. State Department has a do not travel warning, the highest level warning for this specific state of Mexico right there on the Texas border region because of this very reason, crime and kidnapping. According to the State Department warning, criminal groups target public and private passenger buses, as well as private automobiles traveling through Tamaulipas, that's the name of the region, often taking passengers, demanding ransom payments. I heard from people uh, that they're told not to drive uh, through that region with vans because vans are used to be by smugglers. And so if they see you with a van, they will often carjack you in that region. Right now in that area, the State Department says there's a lot of organized crime activity, uh, drug cartels, gun battles, armed robbery, uh, a whole bunch of really bad stuff. I'm going to link in the show notes to the State Department warning site. It literally goes through the entire world and breaks down regions of every single country with various warning levels of like, you should be concerned about pickpockets to 
there are drug cartels here and you should not travel here. As you mentioned, Jill, these Americans appear to have been in that area of Mexico for a medical appointment. There's a lot of people who engage in what's called medical tourism, which is effectively the term for traveling to another country for medical care, often cheaper, uh, and maybe uh, procedures that are not approved here in the U.S. Matamoros is also the site of a large tent encampment for migrants, Venezuelans, Haitians, hoping to cross the U.S. into asylum. So there's a lot going on there. So most $50,000 for four Americans does not feel like a lot of money. Right, just about 12000 ahead there. It's an interesting uh, amount of money thrown out there. Jill, the only way I think about it is they don't want to throw out a lot of money there because then you're basically playing into the cartel's hands. You know, they may see that if the U.S. is throwing out a million dollars for every person who's kidnapped, they'll be like, well, you know, why don't you just pay us that money? And that's always the concern with these types of situations. All right, switching gears, the Biden administration is contemplating a mass vaccination campaign for poultry. It comes as an avian flu outbreak has led to the deaths of tens of millions of chickens, which was one of the main things driving up the cost of eggs. The bird flu outbreak, which started early last year, is the biggest in the nation's history, affecting more than 58 million farmed birds. It has already spilled over into mammals such as mink, foxes, raccoons, and bears. And it's raising fears that the virus that causes it, known as H5N1, could mutate and start spreading more easily among people at some point. Officials at the Federal Agriculture Department, which is responsible for the health of farm animals, say they've begun testing a potential poultry vaccine and started discussions with industry leaders about a large-scale bird flu vaccination program for poultry which would be a first for the United States. Farm birds are already vaccinated against infectious poultry diseases like fowl pox. Poultry trade associations are divided, though, over the idea of an avian flu vaccine for chickens, in part because it might lead to trade restrictions that could destroy the $6 billion poultry export industry. So the big concern here, Jill, is that U.S. trading partners would want assurances that they're not importing meat from infected birds. The U.S. is one of the largest uh, chicken exporters in the world, and vaccinating the chickens would make it difficult to prove if the birds had ever been infected. So that's one of the issues here. The key consideration over at the White House is egg prices. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Republicans have attacked the president on this. Egg prices have soared over the last year, 70% higher this January over last January. And egg prices could continue to stay elevated here through the spring. There's Easter season demand and still supply shortages from the avian flu. We should note that as of yet, they have not authorized the vaccination of chickens against H5N1. And while there are several vaccines, it's unclear whether any of them are effective against this strain. So it appears, you know, the same issues we deal with COVID and humans, we deal with chickens and H5N1. As far as the concern for humans, as you mentioned, Jill, Experts over the CDC say the risk of a pandemic, a bird flu pandemic among humans, is still low. But as a precaution, the agency has sent drug manufacturers flu virus samples that could form the basis of a future vaccine for people. You know, we've talked about bird flu for a number of years. You might have heard of it. But bird flu infections in humans have been rare so far. And transmission of bird flu between humans is extremely rare Worldwide, there have only ever been nine H5N1 cases reported in people since the beginning of last year. And it's usually cases of people exposed to poultry. But remember, as viruses uh, continue to mutate and form uh, variants, that could evolve over time and make it easier for H5N1 to make that massive jump to humans. 
and then between humans. So that's always the ongoing concern among epidemiologists. In the United States, the CDC, in partnership with state and local public health departments, is currently monitoring people who are exposed to H5N1. As of last week, more than 6,000 people had been monitored, 163 reported symptoms, and one person did test positive, according to the CDC. All right, let's take a quick break now to thank a couple of our partners this week. I want to start with Blinkist. I mentioned them on the Instagram feed uh, this week. I've been using the Blinkist app for more than a year now as a quick way to get uh, smart summaries of books that either I haven't gotten around to or ones I haven't read in a while. It's essentially audio cliffs notes. Blinkist offers you a summary of books in 15 minutes or less. I like to listen to them while I'm on the go. Right now, they're offering more than 5,500 book and podcast summaries. Topics range a lot of nonfiction, politics, parenting, investing, leadership, communication. Uh, Blinkist offers curated collections, expert-led guides. It allows you to really grow every day. And right now, they're offering a special deal to the Mo News audience. You can head over to Blinkist.com slash Mo News to start a seven-day free trial. And they're offering 25% off a premium membership right now. That is Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink. Blinkist.com slash Mo News for 25% off and a seven-day free trial. And now to Athletic Greens. I have been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. And you can get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash monews. That's M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read, starting with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. At least 23 people are facing domestic terrorism charges in Georgia. They were arrested Sunday after violent protests at the site of a planned law enforcement training facility outside of Atlanta. Opponents dub it Cop City and claim that it would further militarize policing and harm the environment. Several pieces of construction equipment were set on fire Sunday in what police officials are calling a coordinated attack at the site for the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center in DeKalb County. Anti-police demonstrators and environmentalists who call themselves defenders of the forest threw large rocks, bricks, Molotov cocktails, and fireworks at police officers Sunday at the construction site. A total of 35 people were detained. Only two of those arrested, though, are actually from Georgia. All of the rest are from states from Maine to Arizona. Two are actually foreigners from Canada and France. Jill, as you noted, two dozen of those detained uh, officially now face domestic terrorism charges. That is a felony that carries a penalty of up to 35 years in prison. As far as this facility is concerned, the Atlanta City Council approved the $90 million public safety training center uh, two years ago, saying that the state-of-the-art campus would replace substandard offerings boost police morale, and actually improve training. In addition to classrooms, the training center would include a shooting range, a driving course to practice police chases, as well as what's called a burn building for firefighters to work on putting out fires. Opponents, again, it appears mainly from outside Georgia, have said that the site will be used to practice what they call 
urban warfare. Uh, this site has seen multiple protests over recent months, and they get increasingly violent. State lawmakers, actually, in response to all this, have proposed making rioting a felony in Georgia instead of just a misdemeanor and are considering creating a separate special crime if you burn a police vehicle, which is uh, one of the things that happened in this case. From Axios, this week might be a big one for the stock market, which continues to hang on to gains for the year despite a very ugly February. Today, Fed Chair Jerome Powell will be heading to Capitol Hill. He'll deliver his semi-annual monetary policy report for the Senate Banking Committee And he's going to be doing the same thing on Wednesday, except it will be in front of the House Financial Services Committee. Here is what we are expecting. Powell likely to keep saying that the central bank will have to continue to raise interest rates before inflation officially gets under control. Recent reports show that while inflation has slowed down a bit, it is far from over. Investors have shifted now toward this view that the Fed is going to keep lifting interest rates at a rapid pace. And that has been weighing on stocks for the past few weeks. So that'll be Powell on the Hill for two days this week. The other thing we'll be looking at is uh, the jobs number that comes out on Friday morning when the Labor Department will officially release the February jobs report. Remember, the January jobs report showed us the U.S. economy created more than 517,000 new jobs, a lot more than expected, and a sign that despite interest rates, despite inflation, the job market, at least according to the Labor Department, remains strong. Economists did not expect that many jobs. And right now, uh, the estimate is 200,000 jobs uh, created in February. We will find out, again, whether the market uh, goes above that or meets that expectation. Keep in mind, a lot of traders, even the Fed, find themselves right now sort of rooting against the job market because the more the uh, job market stays strong here, what does that mean? That Jerome Powell and the Fed has to keep raising interest rates to try to cool down the economy. Uh, again, they don't want to create a recession with you know huge backlash, tons of people losing their jobs, but they want to create a situation where people are buying less, which means stores are hiring less people, uh, and try to come into this soft landing situation. So these are a couple of the things that we're watching here. Uh, one trend to be on the lookout as that jobs report comes out on Friday, by the way, the Wall Street Journal had this piece over the weekend. Bars, hotels, and restaurants right now are the fastest growing employers in America. It's an interesting sort of role reversal with tech, where tech is doing cutbacks. Uh, Bars, restaurants, and hotels are hiring. Sort of the reversal here from what we saw during peak COVID. Leisure and hospitality added more than 128,000 jobs in January. Uh, We're seeing a few other uh, places where they're doing a bunch of hiring. Chipotle said in January they're hiring 15,000 more workers. Kroger and some supermarkets are also now recruiting former employees to try to fill gaps uh, because they have such a demand. From CNBC, it looks like the year of the foldable. A term. <laughs> it's too early for on this day. Are we talking about 2003? <laughs> <laughs> this is a term used to describe a smartphone with a bendable screen. So, Mosh, you are correct. I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to uh, the aughts. Um, a slew of foldable devices have hit the international market this year as electronics giants, mainly in China, Look to catch up to Samsung in a smartphone category that it pioneered. As they say, what's old is new again. Uh, Jill, one of my favorite phones back in the day, I don't know who else had this, was the Motorola Crazer. It was like the skinnier version of the Razer. Had the T9 texting. (laughs) 
<laughs> Back in the day when you had to pay like a dollar ninety nine or two ninety nine to buy a phone ring, do you remember those days? Yes, it, and it was a very big deal. It's funny because you had written this in our script, and I thought it was a typo because I really only remember the razor. I don't. I do not remember the crazer. Crazer, skinnier <laughs> razor. But it's we. But we mentioned that because a new version of the foldable Motorola Razor. It's back, everybody. This year, Lenovo, that's the uh, Chinese tech company that now owns the Motorola brand, says they're bringing it back. The Razor was first launched back in 2004, when many of us had it. It was one of the more popular flip phones of the early 2000s, when you would download a 50-cent song to be your phone ring. So Lenovo says they're bringing it back. And it does come as there's speculation that Apple is also gearing up for the launch, potentially, of a foldable device, though that could also be an iPad and not a smartphone. There are a lot of challenges now that we've gotten to this smartphone era with the screen, the screen in particular. How do you create a foldable phone where the screen is seamless? That's the challenge uh, manufacturers say they have right now. And uh, there's the weight of the devices, the cost of the devices. Right now, foldable devices, their place in the market is 1.1% of the total smartphone market. So 99% not foldable, 1% foldable. They are expected playing off of our uh, growth statistics, Jill. They're expecting to see 300% growth in the foldable market, Jill, to 3% of the market by the year 2026. Like my Yiddish example from yesterday. <laughs> oh my God, it's up 300% from 1% to 3%. You know, there was so much hype when Samsung first came out with its foldable phone, um, but I, I was going to say it was my anecdata as we talk about, but it's actual data is that I've really never seen anybody with a foldable phone. No, the I mean, I've only seen a handful of folks who still have like, the old school flip phones. As far as the foldable smartphones, I haven't seen much. And again, I think that it, cost and technology is getting in the way of that. But I imagine, you know, one of these guys will figure it out. Okay, from GeekWire, Amazon announced that it is permanently closing eight of its high-tech Amazon Go convenience stores, two in Seattle, two in New York City, and four in San Francisco. It's part of its overall cost-cutting plan. The company first opened these types of stores back in 2018, and they rely on what is called just walkout technology. So if you've never been to one of these stores, there are no cashiers. You basically scan your app when you walk in, and then you go shopping and Amazon relies on cameras and sensors to determine what shoppers pick up and actually buy. And when you are done shopping, you just walk out and then you're automatically charged when you leave. Amazon says it is committed to the Amazon Go format, will continue to open more stores, learn which locations and features resonate most with customers. It's a throwback episode today. The flip phone is back and so is brick and mortar. For Amazon, sort of. Uh, Amazon says despite those closures, Jill, they will continue to open up new stores. They have a new location going up in Washington State this year. They did open up its first suburban store in Mill Creek, Washington. So you can still uh, go to those stores. This does come as Amazon has closed some other brick-and-mortar stores uh, in the last year. The company is saying at the time that it wants to focus more on Amazon Fresh, Whole Foods, and Amazon Go Grocery and Convenience Stores. They're experimenting a lot here. In the time since, of course, Amazon has been hit by the same economic uncertainty we've discussed on this podcast that has hit a lot of large tech companies. They confirmed this week that they're pausing construction of their HQ2 headquarters in Washington, D.C., and it does come as we learned that they laid off about 18,000 employees at the end of last year. Those are the largest cuts they've done in the company history. Have you ever shopped at one of the Amazon stores? I have not. So there was one by my old apartment in Midtown in Manhattan. And I used to go to it all the time as I'd get off the subway. 
And you almost feel like you're stealing the, the everything because you're just like, wait a minute, I just walk out. I mean, obviously you wind up paying for it, but it, it is kind of like a weird thing. It, it It's very seamless, though. I have to say the first couple of times I felt like it was weird. But after that, it, it, it is an easy way to shop. It's interesting that they're making this move, especially to close these stores in some of these big cities like, you know, like New York, like San Francisco, like Seattle. Um, but, you know, clearly they're making some calculations here uh, and, you know, putting their chips in some of the categories. From Axios, the best tippers in the country are in Cleveland, according to data from Toast, which is a tech platform for restaurants. The Ohio City was the only one in the 12 market study with a tipping average higher than 20%. Up next are Denver, Salt Lake City, and Phoenix. Jill, do you remember the Drew Carey show on ABC back in the day? Yeah, but I never watched it. So was, it was it based in Cleveland? It was based in Cleveland, and the theme song was that uh, song by the President of the United States, Cleveland Rocks, Cleveland Rocks. Anyway, that was just going through my head today as I saw the story. <laughs> <laughs> Toast, meanwhile, declared Delaware, where the average tip is 21.8% to be the most generous, followed by Indiana, Wyoming, Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. At the bottom of the list, California, home to the worst tippers. The average is 17.5%, followed by Washington, Florida, Nevada, Hawaii, New York, Louisiana, Texas, New Mexico, and New Jersey. So that's the bottom of the list there, though uh, this led to a lot of discussion on the Instagram on Monday, Jill. A couple things to keep in mind, California and Washington State, while on the bottom of the tipping list, are a couple of states where servers are not paid like $2 an hour, you know, there's this opt out for servers, you're actually paid $15 an hour in those states. So Californians wanted to message me being like, it's not that we're worse tippers, we acknowledge the fact that waiters in, in our state make $15 an hour. So that might play uh, into the calculation there. Whereas in Ohio, for example, where Cleveland is, uh, servers make about $4 an hour. Another thing to take into account, some of the states with the lowest average tip are states with lots of tourists. Uh, Nevada, Florida, California, and New York. And so, again, as Toast puts together these numbers, that could play into the averages because people take a lot of pride in their tips. So Californians wanted to blame it on uh, on tourists, uh, as did folks in a couple other states. Most so Grub Street put together um, the new rules of tipping. It was an article that recently came out. And I thought this was fascinating because I feel like I was a little bit out of touch. Okay, so it says, how much did I tip at a restaurant? Um, they say 20 to 25%. So I always was told like 15 to 20%. Right, 18%. Yeah. So 20% if it's really good service, 15% as a minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it is 20 to 25%, which kind of jives with some of the numbers that we had seen why California was at the bottom of the list with about 17%. Then this I thought was really interesting. And I'm curious what you think. If you are buying an item at a coffee shop, that involves zero preparation. So you just go in, you buy a bottle of water, even a muffin. Do you think you have to tip? Wait, hold on. If I'm sitting down and there's a server serving me something? No, just a barista or somebody behind the counter. Oh. So you're not sitting at a table and nobody brings it to you. Listen, they turn around that screen now and there's always like a an offer to tip. I feel like if they did really incredible service or ordered something really unique, I'm definitely game to tip, but I don't think it's like standard operating procedure, like mandatory. Okay, so Grub Street says, if you're buying an item that involves no preparation, like a bottle of water, a muffin, it is acceptable, though miserly, to not tip. I was kind of surprised by that because if I was just going into somewhere and picking up a bottle of water, 
and again, there's zero preparation. I I wouldn't tip. I I don't know. I I guess I may be out of touch. I feel like now that they've gone to like all these kind of, you know, again, all these shops that have so that iPad that they turn around and you pay, I feel like tips are sort of ubiquitous right now, or at least the ability to tip uh, and certainly, you know, feel bad in some cases. But, you know, I, I hear you. And I think it's a it's a worthwhile discussion to have of, you know, what what standard, what bar does the service have to be at in order to tip in sort of these newer types of environments? And look, I don't, I don't want to be a pariah. So I read this and I was like, wow, okay, I, I'm, I'll do it. I just didn't know that that was something we were doing now. Well, it's certainly something people are doing in Cleveland and less so in California. Though. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jill, before we leave this, Toast actually looked at a bunch of different food trends. Their numbers were actually fascinating that they put out with their Q4 report. And I linked to it. Uh, and I include the link in the show notes here. But they also looked at the top performing cuisine types by metro area and where they've seen massive growth. Uh, and this is interesting. In Chicago, Southern cuisine is up 14% uh, over last year. In New Orleans, Chinese food is up 43% in terms of the number of people ordering the type of food. Baked goods up 13% in New York. Uh, Latin American cuisine up 18% in Salt Lake City. Thai food up 23% in Cleveland. All right, it is time to end, as always, as we do with On This Day in History. I want to begin in 1876. On this day, Alexander Graham Bell officially received the patent for the first telephone. Fast forward to 1965. On this day, March 7th, 1965, 25-year-old activist John Lewis at the time led 600 marchers over the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and faced brutal attacks from oncoming state troopers. The footage of the violence that was then released uh, and shown on uh, television stations across the country, shocked the nation and really galvanized the fight against racial injustice. You may have seen over the weekend, President Biden was there to commemorate the 58th anniversary of the Selma March. Uh, he was out there along with Al Sharpton, other civil rights leaders, uh, as they continue to commemorate the actions uh, of the very brave marchers who marched on that day in 1965. And one piece of movie history on this day, on this day 13 years ago in 2010, director Catherine Bigelow became the first woman to ever win an Academy Award for Best Director. She, of course, was the director of Hurt Locker that had come out the previous year. But again, it took till 2010 for the first woman to win Best Director. A couple celebrity birthdays on this day. Brian Cranston, the actor, many of us know him from Breaking Bad, is 67 years old today. Comedian Wanda Sykes is 59. And Jenna Fisher from The Office is 49. And we'll end here with a happy birthday to the board game Monopoly. It was created on this day in 1933 by Charles Darrow and three other designers. Jill, the original board of the Monopoly board, as they designed it, was a circle. They thought it would be easier to play that way uh, with a circular board. Apparently, there were games uh, previous to that called the Landlord Game, which is what Monopoly was derived from. The board is based on Atlantic City, uh, you know, the various Atlantic Avenue, etc. are all Atlantic City uh, roads. And the playing pieces were models of things around Charles Darrow's house. You know, the little iron, the various, the thimble. Oh, that's so interesting. So Darrow basically looked around his house, uh, you know, was familiar with Atlantic City, develops this game. He then shows it to Milton Bradley. They reject it, thinking nobody wants to play this game. He then brings it to Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers is like, actually, we can do something with this. They release it two years later under their label and make it a household name. Big mistake, Milton Bradley. <laughs> Milton Bradley. <laughs> Definitely a bad move by Milton Bradley, though. They had Connect Four, uh, Candyland, Operation. I think I think they did pretty well for themselves until they got bought by Hasbro a few years ago. By the way, we play Candyland in this house, Operation. All those games are still great. 
this on this day brought to you by Milton Bradley, despite their rejection of Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> Though, Jill, Googling here, Parker Brothers, uh, Beyond Monopoly has Clue, Sorry, Risk, Bop It, Scrabble. So they have a, you know, I think Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers, this is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good competition through the years. Mosh, I do love a good board game. I love Trivial Pursuit. I imagine you do as well, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the encyclopedia of knowledge uh, that you have in your brain, uh, I would hope I take so. it very seriously, Jill. And I'm very disappointed. <laughs> and then I have to go into a room and study if I get something wrong. <laughs> All right, everybody. want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And don't forget to follow us on the uh, at Moj Instagram account at M-O-S-H-E-H for all things Mo News 24-7. Jill, still haven't heard from Ryan Philippi, so he might still only follow us on Instagram <laughs> and not on the podcast yet, but uh, this reference to yesterday's podcast uh, for those of you who didn't listen yesterday. Uh, Jill, I will see you and everyone else back here tomorrow. Okay, bye everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast. What do you want to talk about today? Mom. Yeah. Can you help me figure it out? Do you want to talk about um, going to the supermarket? What did you buy at the supermarket? <laughs> ice cream. You bought ice cream? What flavor? I <laughs> forgot.